Well, if you have your Bible, would you open it to the book of 1 Peter? We are plugging through this wonderful book, going at a little bit faster clip than normal, but we find ourselves in chapter 2, and we will be in verses 1 to 12. As you are turning there, I also wanted to make you aware that um, I sent in the email a PDF of a book called 50 Reasons Jesus Had to Die, but we um, also have these books up here for you, which is the exact same content under a different title, The Passion of Jesus Christ. And these are up here that you can take if you would like a copy. They are yours, and it's basically 50 Reasons um, Jesus Died, Suffered in Our Place. And so you could take one for each day to help you as a brief reflection on the death of Jesus from here until uh, Good Friday. So we wanted to make that available for you just in case you needed something to encourage you there. So they are up here, and you feel free to come up and take one if you would like one, or you can just use the PDF that was sent to you. As we look at 1 Peter chapter 2, the title of today is Longing for Jesus. Longing for Jesus. Let me read here the first three verses only, but we will go verses 1 to 12. The Word of God says this, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up to salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would increase our taste for you, our longing for you. I pray, Father, that in this moment, you would fill us with joy and peace and confidence and a hate for sin, and a love for the Savior. Make us sensitive to your Holy Spirit now, I pray. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. The word we begin with is longing. Longing. What is longing? It's that feeling that we have when we want something that we don't currently have. We either don't have it at all, or we have it in small measure and we want it in larger measure. Longing. If you think of longing, it means I want more of something. I want more of blank. So if some of you played in the snow, or your kids did maybe, we are notorious for not having good gloves in the Cordell house. So what usually happens is we try to make sure that the ones who are going to, you know, make the most snowballs will get the best gloves because they're going to stick their hands in it. And what that usually means is you have one of two choices. You either have those big puffy gloves, you know, that you cannot form anything with and they keep you warm and many times dry. Or you get those thin ones, which really can make a good snowball, but your hands get cold and wet. So that's usually what happens with us. Or if you don't have any gloves, you just go barehanded. And that one's pretty painful. After about 10 or 15 minutes, your hands are in the snow. 
what happens? You're longing for warmth. You're like, I'm done with this mess because there's hurt, there's stinging. I was walking through downtown on Friday, and as I was walking through, the wind was crazy. It was crazy cold, and it was just like you could, you know, couldn't even like get breath out because it was coming at you. And so I longed to get around the corner and get into the building that I was going to get in. And it was just like 20 degrees like that, it felt like, because the wind was not hitting me in the face. Longing. What is longing? Well, when you long for something, you long for it because it's missing. Longing is something else, though. Longing is usually a sustained I want. So if you are hiking up a mountain, let's say it's snowy, and you are walking up this mountain and you say, I really wish I had a warm bed. I'm not sure you would call it a longing if you said that five minutes into your trip. You walk up five minutes, I'm longing for a warm bed. No, that's not usually how you use the word longing. It's more for that I've been on this trek several days, I'm two-thirds of the way up, I cannot go back, I'm longing for a different scenario. It's something that is sustained wanting many times when you have this idea of longing. Also, longing many times is reserved for not just I want, like I want a t-shirt, but something that's a little deeper, like you might use it, I long for that t-shirt at the mall, but probably you would use it more for something like, I really long to be with that relative that passed away. I long to be with my family because I've been stationed overseas for a significant time. I long for that chronic sickness to go away. I long for my family to trust Jesus. It's a sense of gravity, it's a sense of something deeper, something more important and central to life, and especially here in First Peter, this is how Peter is using this word. It is something that is a deep want, a yearning, a hungering, a groaning, and if you look in First Peter chapter 2, you see the only command in chapter 2 Verses 1 to 10. You don't get another command until you get to 11 and 12. The one command here in verses 1 to 10 is this. Long, yearn, groan. Everything else hangs on that one word. And it makes sense. The individuals that Peter is writing to have been suffering. They're longing for encouragement. They're longing to understand why they are following Jesus and yet governments and other individual enemies are constantly on the attack. Constantly ripping down their character, calling their ideas of choosing, in, choosing faith in Christ ludicrous. Persecution. And they don't understand and Peter is writing this letter to suffering Christians longing for answers longing for relief and the question that seems to be begged right here in Peter's structuring of verses 1 to 12 is this how can the people of God increase in their longing for Jesus 
We've all got longings. We've all got deep desires. The, the question that's at hand is how can we grow and increase our capacity, our endurance, the depth of our longing for Jesus? How can that happen? Four ways. One, put away evil deeds. They are barriers to love. That's verses 1 to 3. The other way we increase in our longing for Jesus is two, we remember what God is building us into. He's building us into something, and we'll see that in verses 4 to 8. Three, we increase in our longings for Jesus when, as we remember what God says about us. That's verses 9 and 10. And we increase in our longing for Jesus as we live out of our longing. Playing off the title of Travis's message last week. Live out of your longing. So let's dive in. And let's look at these first few verses here. How do we increase in our longing Peter is saying we must put away evil deeds. They are barriers to love. Where do you get this idea of these ideas being barriers to love? Well, if you hit reverse a little bit, what you see in verse 22 is this. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, having trusted in Christ, obeying the truth of the gospel, believing in him, repenting of your sins, it says, for a sincere brotherly love, that's the end of that trust, is loving others. Love one another earnestly with a pure heart. So the context here is those changed by Jesus are meant to love one another. And so he goes on to say, God will sustain that love for each other because one, he has caused us to be born again. And two, he's given us his living and abiding word. Those two things are guarantees that he will continue to produce love within us. As Travis said last week, he has recreated you into a loving person. His love for you will last forever and fills you to love others. So, that's the word that Paul be or Peter begins with here in chapter 2 verse 1. So... In light of the context of love, in light of a God who is constantly going to be giving you what you need to love one another, put away these things that stand up as barriers to your love. Put away malice. Put away deceit. Put away hypocrisy and envy and slander. Those things stand as a barrier in between love. Malice. Wanting ill will for somebody else. Deceit. Lying to other brothers and sisters in order to get ahead. To get what you want. Hypocrisy. It's play acting. It's pretending that you are someone you're not. Specifically in this context, probably pretending to love and yet going behind and gossiping about people. I love you and yet you're talking about them. Envy. It's this idea of coveting and yet it also goes one step beyond. So coveting is 
I want what I see that you have. I covet that. Envy is, I don't want you to have it. And sometimes envy can even go is, I delight when it's taken from you. Envy. And it could even involve a sense of posturing yourself in such a way that they lose some of the things that you desire to have. Envy. It's jealousy. James says it's at that and selfish ambition will destroy. And then he says slander. This idea of slander. It's not just gossip. It's not just talking about someone else. But it has the intention of tearing down. The intention of hurting someone. A form of revenge or character assassination, misrepresentation. What we have here in this text is Peter saying, these things, they're hurting us as a people. Now I want you to notice, who's he telling to put these away? Unbelievers or the church? It's okay. Interaction? Yes, that's right. The suffering Christians. Because these things are common to humanity. Even redeemed humanity. And in one way, shape, or another, there's a sense that we can all wear these labels. Guilty at times. Malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. And he's saying these things stand in the way of our love for each other. And so he says that we should put them away. Cut them down. Hate them. And here's what I wish for us as a people. That we would be able to have the both and. That holiness is emphasized here as an essential part of the people of God. We must put away evil. He mentions it above. In verse 17, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Holiness is important because there is a coming judgment. For believers, it's not a judgment of condemnation, but as it was called last week by Pastor Travis, it's a judgment of evidence. Or, according to Peter, it's a judgment of your deeds. It's a sense of you will be held accountable for the actions you do, even as a believer. At the end of the day, it will only serve to make grace that much more beautiful. But holiness is not only for that. Holiness here in this passage is so that as a people, we would have an increased longing for God. 
an increased longing for him. It is the cleaning out of one area so that God can fill us up with deeper longings. Every one of these things are participated in because we are not filling the void with a longing for God, but we are satisfying our longings with something else. Malice is, I've got a longing for things to be right. I've got a longing to get ahead or to be accepted, so I will hurt someone else in order to get what I long for. When that happens, Jesus is not coming in to fill the void. We are satisfying it with our own evil desires. And therefore, our longing for Jesus doesn't increase. This bottomless pit of needing constantly more when we fall into sin only increases. The same with deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. There's this longing. That's why we participate in sin. And if we choose sin, it fills in the void that Jesus is meant to fill. And so Peter is ambitious for us as a people to put this away, not only so that we can love each other deeper, but that Jesus would fill the vacuum, that he would grow and increase in our hearts. And as that happens, we long for him. Like grammatically, it's that essential. It's command long by putting away all these things. They're connected, even in the structure of the sentence. God wants us longing, longing for him. And the barriers upon barriers is when we choose to participate in sin. And if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus and you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, you will want to put away the sin and you will want to work hard in order that that longing would be for Jesus alone. I pray. I pray for a culture in this church where holiness is held high and sin is not taken lightly, but where it is safe to confess your struggles. And the only way we can do that is if we remember the gospel and we are not fearing self-righteous condemnation, but we believe that as a people, repentance is the gateway to refreshment. Think about 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2 says this. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so you don't sin. It's what Peter is doing. I'm telling you to put away sin so you don't sin. But if you do sin, what do you do if someone does sin? We have an advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. If the emphasis of our culture is leaning on our own righteousness, people will then hide and try to appear as if they have it together. 
And it's a miserable place to be. Because when you are trying to appear or lean on your own righteousness, you can't stand long until you crumble. It's too heavy a burden. You're never meant to hold it yourself. He says here, Jesus Christ is the righteous one. We have an advocate before the Father of which we can take all of our sins and our struggles to Him. The invitation here in order for an increased longing is that we put away all evil. We put it away so that we can love one another, yes, but so that that can create a space in which we can long more for Jesus. Do you not find it interesting the command is long? Like, you can't do that. You can't just make your heart want something. It just happened. Fill with joy. I wish it were that easy. There's just no clap. There's just no like command you can give yourself to make it happen. That's why Peter is structuring it this way. There are things we can do, but ultimately the gift is from God. He must give us more of himself. Now Peter, when he is writing the book of Peter, it seems as if he has meditated long and hard on Psalm 34. Taste and see that the Lord is good is taken from Psalm 34. And David, in the midst of writing this psalm, it was a time when he was under persecution and attack, and God had delivered him. And so Psalm 34 is his his declaration of thanks be to God for his great deliverance, which is therefore an appropriate psalm for the people who are under suffering. But he wants it to be really clear that God hears their hurts, Listen to Psalm 34, 5 to 9. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers him. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy, blessed, at peace is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack you can hear words of peter all over that psalm fear the lord run to him taste and see that he is good and so similar to going to cheesecake factory i don't know if you've ever been before but i tell you really expensive pieces of cheesecake and they're big so we try to share But I tell you, you get that one bite of that cheesecake and then all of a sudden taste buds in your mouth start, you know, leaping for joy. And you're like, I really wish that was my piece and not a shared piece right now. It's this sense of you tasted something and now you want more of it. That's exactly what he's saying. I have changed you. You've tasted just a small sliver of my greatness and my goodness. And now as you put away sin, and as you do these other things we're going to talk about for the rest of the sermon, all of a sudden you're longing, I want more, I want more, I want more. That's what he's calling us into. Holiness is an invitation into cleaning house, so to speak, that you would long for more of him. It comes not only, longing for Jesus comes not only by putting away evil, which is a barrier to loving others, but by remembering what God is building us into. Look at these next words. 
I'm going to read verses 1 to 3, and then the next section starts in verse 4. So put away all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants command, long for the pure spiritual milk. You see that image of an infant longing for milk. Now, some translations would say the pure spiritual milk of the word. That's because that word pure there actually is almost like a play on words with the Greek word for word. So it does seem to be that and combined with his comments on living and abiding word previously in the upcoming verses that he's asking us to long to be in the word of God. Just like infants long for milk. That by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, he says, as you come to him. Isn't it interesting? Long for the pure spiritual milk. We just said that that's the word of God. But he says now, as you come to him. So spending time in the word is a coming to him. He is the goal. It's not about just words on a page. It is an invitation into a relationship with him. The individual who's been overseas wants to be back with his family, but gets this letter in the mail. They don't just want those words on a page because they love grammar and they love sheets and they love ink. They want those words on a page because those words communicate and resemble and reflect and show just a little bit of that person they love. These are words from a person that we love. More importantly, that loves us. It's an invitation to long for his word, but his word is not the goal. It's the gateway into loving and being with him. That's why he says, as you come to him. And now he shifts imagery from children longing for milk to a living stone. So the him there is who? Jesus. Okay, let's try that one again. The him is who? Jesus. That's right. And so it says, Jesus is a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, just like he's a living stone. And he was rejected by men. He's saying basically, you too are going to be rejected. But in the sight of God, chosen and precious. We've got to set our eyes upon God more than what men say about us. He now says, you yourselves are like living stones. And look at the verb there. You are being built. God is the builder. He shifts to this image of building. You are a living stone and you are being built up into a spiritual house. And then he goes on in verse 6 to quote Isaiah 26, 18, which says, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone. So now we know that Jesus is the living stone, but he is the foundation upon which our spiritual house is being built. Here's some images. Now, this is a bag of rocks. (laughs) You needed me for that one, didn't you? So when you have a bag of rocks, in order to help make them into a wall or a house, they have to be chiseled in order to fit together, in order that the seams go together well. 
This could be the suffering for the people of God. It could be the putting away of sin. We are being chiseled. We are being formed into his likeness in order that together, unified as a people, we can be built into a spiritual house. So look at the next image. So now those oblong-shaped, crazy, not-going-to-fit-together kind of rocks, they've been chiseled and shaped so that the seams are small. You can build in a spiritual house so that then, next picture, you end up getting a wall. The wall doesn't come about without the chiseling, without the suffering, which is what he said in chapter 1. You rejoice in your salvation, even though if necessary, you're grieved with various trials, so that your faith, though tested by, by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God is doing something, and that is meant to increase your longing for him. He is chiseling you, shaping you, and he is right now building not just you as an individual, us. Living stones fitting together as he sees fit into a spiritual house. That's meant to encourage you that your suffering is not pointless. The shaping that he's doing on you as an individual is not just about you. It is something he is doing towards a promised end. The promised end is the house is going to be built We're going to fit together. He's going to take his people through all of the pains and he is going to build a beautiful house that reflects his glorious name. So what that does in my heart, just subjectively, it encourages me. It makes me want to stay with him, longing for him because I know he's doing something even though it's hard for me to see it. Remember, his question is this. How can our longing increase? One, put away sin so that longing can fill the vacuum. Two, remember. He's at work building us into a house, a spiritual house. But let's just be really clear. We're living stones like the living stone, the cornerstone. And it's what you do with the cornerstone that determines if you're a part of the house. That's why he says what he says here. Look at verse 5. You yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in that cornerstone, that person, You know, he shifts from an inanimate object that's a brick to a person. Whoever believes in that person will not be put to shame. So the honor, the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And they stumble because they disobey the word. Because they reject God. And that rejecting of God is part of God's macro plan. They're responsible for their rejection. But you better believe that that doesn't make God's plans fall apart. Because he says as they were destined to do. It's the mystery of human responsibility and God's sovereignty. 
but they stumble because they disobeyed the word. And it's a call to all of us in this moment right now, especially those who do not claim Christ, to turn from sin and to embrace all that Jesus says he is. You don't get a part of him. You have to take all of him, all that he says, and you trust in him. So the longing is increased as you trust in Jesus to deliver on the promise to build us up in a spiritual house. But the longing is also increased when we remember what God says about us. When you remember what he calls you. Now, here's the connection in the passage. When he says in verse 7, So the honor is for you who believe. What's the honor? What's that honor he's talking about? Okay, I'm trusting in Jesus. I love him. Now I'm honored. What's the honor? The honor is verses 9 and 10. You get a new identity. You get a new name. You have a new owner. Remember what God says about you. And in this passage, he says, You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Words matter, they matter. And words can give life or they can hurt. We've talked about it around our dinner table at the Cordell House. We have two things this year that we are focusing on around our dinner devotion time whenever we are able to do it. One is humility. The other is encouragement. How can we be more humble in our actions and our words? And how can we be encouraging in our actions and our words. So we just kind of try to repeat these themes throughout living, but these are the two words that are trying to frame our family time with the Lord. And we have all, all Cordell's, had shining moments and not so shining moments. Times of repentance, times of prayer for help, but it's been so helpful. But as you begin to think about how do my words encourage people, you begin to kind of have antennas up everywhere you go. And you know, name-calling can hurt. Especially as you're a parent of kids in school, name-calling hurts. You're worthless. You will not measure up. You will amount to nothing. Some of these phrases have not been said just as a kid in the schoolyard, but maybe by parents growing up, by siblings, by those that you loved. And they say hurtful things. These words, they're painful. And what happens when you hear, you're a waste of time, you're an inconvenience to me, they hurt. And what happens is they echo in your mind and they reverberate in your heart. And these words can even define you if you let them. There are so many people still living today to try to get out from underneath the banner of something that their parents told them all growing up. It's pain. It's difficult. And you quickly begin to see the power 
of our words. You can carry them around and they feel like a forever hole. But, but then God speaks. And God speaks a better word. He speaks a better word. And he looks at you and he says, this is your name. Chosen. Royal. Look at it with me in verse 9. Chosen, royal, holy. You are mine. That's who you are. No matter what you've been told, this is who you are. You are mine. And you once had not received mercy, but now you are entitled and brought around the banner of you're a mercy receiver, and I'm giving it to you. That's who you are. Do not let the devil give a foothold. The source matters. I was told that all growing up. The source matters. Who's the source of these words? The living God of the universe looks at you and says, by faith alone, you trust Jesus, you are mine. And all the promises that were made to the people of Israel, he now lumps upon everyone who trusts in Jesus. He literally takes Exodus 19, 5 and 6, and he says, that promise is yours. Jews and Gentiles. Exodus 19, 5 and 6 says this, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you will be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. And now Peter says, They are yours, church, because you did not reject the cornerstone, Jesus Christ, but you trusted in him by faith alone. These are yours, and it is hard work, but let these verses be a louder voice to you than any other voice you hear, and as you seek to live your life, take these and put them over the top of all of these other things that you have so long been shackled down by. Don't be shaped by false words by others. Be shaped by what God says. Take them. They are yours. Walk as a child of the king. Oh, dear friends, you want longing for Jesus? Remember who he says you are. And as he tells you who he says you are, (laughs) those words increase longing. I want to be with him. I want to know him. I want to hear his words over and over. I'm told that the promises made to Israel are now mine. I want to dive into all of the word. And I want to know all of those promises that I'm now told those are yours. You see how it works. When you remember who he says you are, the longing increases and you want to be with him. The longing increases when you put away evil. The longing increases when you remember that he is doing something and building you into a spiritual house as a people. The longing increases when you remember who he says that you are. And finally, the longing increases when you live out of that longing. When you live out of that relationship Look at verse 11 and 12. Look at how he starts it. 
He's about to give you one more command, but look at how he starts it. Loved ones. Loved ones. A summary word for verses 9 and 10. You loved. And then he reminds us, this is not your home. You're a sojourner, immigrant and an exile. Your home is not here. He's already told us your home is in an inheritance with him face to face. It's coming. It's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It's yours. That's home. And so he says, while you're sojourning on this earth, abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against the soul. We're talking war. This is not light imagery. And we're not talking about a war with water guns. We're talking about military tanks. We're talking about heavy artillery. We're talking about day-to-day war. Where you are tempted to lust or to lie, or to greed, or to be jealous. Where you are tempted to try to get ahead. Where you are tempted to try to live for the pleasure of men, rather than for the pleasure of God. It happens. It happens. Happens where you work. It happens where you exercise. It happens when you go to the grocery store. It happens when you're just doing leisure. There are times when you're just living life and all of a sudden a thought comes to your mind. It's like, where did that come from? And there's sometimes it's so deplorable. You're like, am I even a Christian that that came here? And yet the Christian says, God, I don't want it there. You get the anxious heart. And it's like, where did that fear come from? It's so paralyzing. And the Christian says, oh God, I've got to turn to you in the midst of my fear. The lust gets so intense for possessions or for people. And you're like, where did that come from? And the Christian says, oh God, I want you more. Forgive me. Dear friends, It's a war. This isn't casual. And it doesn't escape anyone. It's a war. And oh, what a device of the devil to make us think we got to fight it alone. No, we're being built up as a spiritual house. He's shaping us together. We have an advocate before the Father. He's the righteous one. And when you understand this, we are on a journey. This is not our home. We're in a war. He's telling us to fight. Abstain from it. And he says in verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles. This is not just non-Jews, it's pagans. Keep your conduct among those who don't love Jesus. Honorable. So that, not if, but when, when they speak evil against you. 
Not if. Foregone conclusion, it's going to happen. And when they do, you cannot control their words or their actions, but you can control your words and your actions. Keep your deeds honorable. Why? So that when they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. It's not about you. And it's not about me. It is about, does God look beautiful through our lives in such a way that on that last day, more people love Jesus because you abstained from sin and you lived honorably than they would have if you gave in to the sin and you lived dishonorably. It's about people loving Jesus and God getting glory. Dear friends, and as you do those things, your longing for that great God and his glory will increase. The prayer here is this, church, long, long for Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray. I pray that you would draw near to your people. I ask by your remarkable mercy, that you would drain our desire for sin and you would increase our love for you. Father, please, I pray that you would, in this moment, we would do serious business with you. May we stop treating a relationship with you casually. Father, I ask, I ask with all my heart that you would move in our midst right now as a people of God. And I pray, oh God, that in the midst of all of that is going on and swirling in our minds, that God, you would give us a singular focus. We would make it our prayer, increase our longing. For some of us, there is a clear, specific, besetting sin or a specific action we just need to confess and repent of and give to you and walk underneath the blood of Jesus. But not act as if it's not serious, not act as if it's not real, not act as if it's not painful. Give it to you. For some of us, it's our suffering and our pain and we have been trying to fix it and hold it ourselves. Give it to the Lord. Surrender it. Hold it up to Him. Trust that He is building something out of you. Confess that truth to Him. For others of you, you can't get past the words spoken about you by others. And right now, He says, I've got a better word. You are mine. You just need to rehearse over and over. You don't get those titles because you're good enough. You get those titles because you trust in Jesus. Right now, trust him. Take him at his word. And for others of us, we just need to wage war and walk in holiness, trusting God with the result, making it our prayer that God would be glorified on the day of visitation through our lives. 
We're just going to have about a minute where we are able to reflect. And then we'll close with a song. Spend this time thinking and in prayer to our great God.